Welcome to Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. Hosted by Irving Rich. The Way of Life. Being. Notes of Lectures Delivered in Scandinavia, 1904. By J. Boyd. Revise. London, G. Morish, 20, Paternoster Square. 1906. Victory. Romans chapter 8 verses 18 to 39. In the previous verse the Apostle speaks of the children of God as heirs and joint heirs with Christ. That means that believers possess all things, for if heirs of God they must possess all that is his, and as Christ has all things given to him, and they are joint heirs with him. There is nothing that is not theirs. Of course, this involves suffering, but if we suffer with him we shall also be glorified together. This present time is the time of suffering. Scripture speaks of the sufferings of Christ, and of the glory that should follow. Suffering comes before the glory. Peter calls himself a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory about to be revealed. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 1. In a certain sense the present time is the time of the sufferings of Christ. When he was upon the earth he suffered from the hand of sinful man, and on the cross from the hand of God for us. What he suffered from the hand of God is all over forever, but he is still the rejected one, and he is still deprived of his rights, and his people suffer with him. And in this sense his sufferings continue until the day of his appearing in glory. And when that day comes we shall share his glory with him. And here we get the estimate which the apostle put upon these sufferings of ours when he thought of them in the light of the coming glory. He says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The day of his glory will be a great day for us. We shall see him glorified, and we shall be glorified as his companion. He says to his father, the glory which thou gavest me I have given them. John chapter 17 verse 22, we rejoice in hope of this glory as those that will have part in it. And we shall be displayed in it before the world, for it is by this that the world is to know that the father sent the son, and has loved us as he has loved him. Therefore the reckoning of the apostle is, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And this day of glory is what the groaning creation is waiting for. The creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. It has been made subject to vanity. It had no will in the matter, it fell with its head, Adam. He was the one who brought it into its present condition. But it is not a hopeless fall, it will be delivered from the bondage of corruption when things are gathered under the headship of the last Adam. In allowing the fall and the subjugation of the creature to vanity, God had its restoration in view under the rule of Christ. It will come into the liberty of the glory of the children of God. The glory of the children of God is their display as sons. The children of God are already manifested, they cannot be more so, but to be displayed as sons means that we are to be seen in the same glory as Christ. Suffering is connected with the thought of children, but not with sons, glory is more that which is connected with sons. So we are said here to await adoption, sonship, to wit, the redemption of our body. In the meantime we have to groan along with the groaning creation. By our bodies we are linked with the old creation, while by the work of God in our souls we are of heavenly origin. And we long for the moment when we shall be clothed with our house which is from heaven. This gives us the full thought of adoption, it involves the redemption of the body. The creation must wait for deliverance until we are manifested, but we wait only until Christ comes and takes us in. We must go in before we can come out, and we must come out before the groans of creation are silenced. At present tender-hearted men form themselves into associations for the benefit of the creature, seeking to alleviate its woes, but the creation expects nothing from such societies, it does not look to man or to earth. It looks to the heavens for the manifestation of God's sons. 
it is not that the creation knows anything of all that we are speaking of, it is the forcible way in which the truth of the blessedness of the glory is brought before our soul. It is the interpretation the Spirit of God puts upon all the suffering that wrings the heart of the creation, and which finds vent in one perpetual groan. But when Christ comes and brings his church with him all this will cease. The sorrow came in through the first Adam and his bride, the last Adam and his bride will drive it all out. In that day the heart of creation, made forever glad, will throb forth into the ear of heaven its praises and thanksgiving. In the meantime the groaning has to be continued, and even we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan within ourselves waiting the redemption of the body. And just because we have the Spirit of God we feel the depth of the misery around us more acutely than others. And the pressure is sometimes so great we are able to descry no way out of the troubles that beset us. And though we know our resource is in God we know not what to ask him for when we go to him. Here the Spirit comes in, and joins his help to our weaknesses, making intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. He identifies himself with us in all our sorrows, and gives intelligent utterance to them in the ear of God. And we are told that he who searches the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession according to the will of God. He intercedes on that line, not with the object in view of making easy the circumstances of our lives down here but according to the object the blessed God has in view in all the circumstances through which we are passed, for all our pathway is marked out for us by the finger of God, and is destined to prosper the work of God in our soul. And when we know this we also know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Everything must contribute to the end God has in view. The circumstances of the way must be used to that end, the exercises produced by them keep us from settling down here and drive us nearer to heaven and the Trinity are of one mind as regards the saints. Councils belong to the Father, and the Son has declared the Father, and wrought a work on the ground of which those councils can be fulfilled. And the Holy Spirit has taken up his abode in us to form us according to eternal counsel. We are predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Son of God, and it is for his glory, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This is what God had in view when he took us up, that we should be like Christ, to the eternal delight of God. To bring about this Christ gave himself for us, and to that end the Spirit works in us. There can be no failure in all this. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. This was his eternal purpose, and it must be accomplished. If we are predestinated, there is no fear of our not being called. Whatever dark corner of the earth may contain us we must hear the call of God, he will send his word to us and draw us from our hiding place and bring us to himself and he will not fail to justify us, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. The purpose of God cannot be defeated, Father, Son and Spirit work to one end. This finishes what the Apostle has to say as to the ministry of the grace of God. In the former part of the epistle he has been setting before us the great fact of God's intervention on our behalf. He has been showing us how God was for us when every other power was against us. God is the last person in the universe we would have accredited with being favorably disposed towards us, and really everything has been against us but himself. We lost everything by the fall, and upon God we had no claim, but through his intervention on our behalf we have got a better place than we lost through sin. We lost earth under the first Adam, and we have got heaven under the last Adam. We have been great gainers through the grace of God. To him be all the glory. What are we to say to these things? We surely can say this, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now we begin to boast. Boasting is excluded in chapter 3, because all boasting in the flesh is excluded, and in chapter 3 it is the flesh that is in view. 
one of the signs of the last evil days is that men shall be boasters, 2 Timothy chapter 3, but their boasting is not in God. The Apostle challenges the universe here, if God be for us, who can be against us? And there is no answer to this universal challenge. And again the Apostle, leading the boast of the saints, sends forth a second challenge, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Do we think God will give us all things? Better ask what he has kept back. Perhaps some may be saying that they would be content with a corner in heaven. There is no doubt about your getting all heaven, and even earth as well. All things are yours. It is not a difficult thought to take in, we have taken in a greater already. Do you not believe he has given his own son? And what will he withhold after that? With him he will freely give us all things. The apostle was a great boaster. He flings out challenge number three, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect. He blows the trumpet in the ears of heaven, earth and hell, and declares that God is the justifier, who then can condemn. There is no one to take up the challenge of this boaster. He was once the chief of sinners, slave of the powers of darkness. He had lifted up his voice to condemn the saints, when in his blindness he persecuted them, but he learned that to fight against God was to kick against the goads to his own hurt. It is Christ that died. No less a personage than the Son of God gave his life for those saints. But more than that, he is risen again. He has broken the power of death, and he is at the right hand of God, supreme in the universe, and not only that, but he makes intercession for us. And him God always hears. Once more the challenge goes out, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Every enemy that might be thought likely to do so is named, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. And in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. These are the enemies that are found in the wilderness, they are not the inhabitants of the land of promise, not the wicked spirits in the heavenly places. But these things cannot separate us from the love of Christ, though they may separate us from our best friends upon earth. But the truth is, it is for his sake that all these things come upon us. But he holds up his hands in intercession for us, they never grow weary. And his eye sees all the difficulties of the way, and he knows all our sorrows, and he sympathizes with us and ministers to us all the grace and strength that we need. We are more than conquerors, for tribulation will work patience, and we greatly profit by all our exercises. Now the apostle says, I am persuaded. He does not say the Romans were persuaded. It is our privilege to be persuaded as he was, but he does not say we are. He singles himself out three times in this epistle in this way, once in the second verse, where he says that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made him free from the law of sin and death. This is so experimental that everyone must speak for himself. Then again in verse 18 he says, One reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. It is not every believer who reckons in this way. We surely ought to reckon as he did. And now again for the third time he has to say something of the way in which he views things, and he is persuaded that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He was personally persuaded, but he was as fully persuaded about the Romans as about himself. Death, life, angels, principalities, powers, are more spiritual foes and more terrible to meet than those in verse 35, but they cannot separate us from the love of God. Death cannot separate us from the love of God, it is in death the love of God has been expressed to us, it is the witness of the love of God to us. Life cannot separate us from it, for the love of God is the life in which we live and shall live forever. Angels cannot separate us, for they are appointed in the love of God to minister to us in our journey through an evil world and they are greatly interested in the grace that has come to us in Christ. And as to evil angels they are powerless to hurt us.
neither can height nor depth rob us of that love. It has been expressed in Christ, and it has found its resting place in Him, and God has brought us to Himself in the one in whom it rests. And therefore we are persuaded there can be no separation from it. If there is no separation from the love of God for Christ, there is none for us, for it is in Him that that love is ours. Our hearts may well rise up in praise and thanksgiving for all that is brought before us in this chapter. It begins with no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, and winds up with no separation, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord.